So today is the final topic in the series of, uh, of topics on coronavirus and theology. And today's topic, uh, you know, it makes sense to put it at the end because we're going to be talking about messianism and, uh, of course, the, the waiting for the end. Uh, and this is a topic, this is something that's really gotten a lot of attention, has come up from a lot of different places uh, it, over the course of the past few months, uh, as we're going to see often when there's crisis, when there's uh, pain, when there's suffering, when there's a lot to worry about, people, uh, that's a time when people focus and, and think more about more hopeful times, more redemptive times in the future. So we're going to, we're going to examine this phenomenon. We'll start by looking at at some classic sources uh, uh, from, from the Gemara, from the Rishonim, uh, about Messianism and, and the question of looking forward for Messianic times and predicting uh, Messianic occurrences. And then we're going to jump to the current day, the last few months, and, and see how people have both have discussed this uh, phenomenon of, of Messianism, predicting various things or, or making other uh, points, and, and think about, uh, as well as some who have opposed the phenomenon. So I'm going to share my screen now. We all hopefully uh, see the handout should be legible. So we'll start. There's there's really the main so yeah, the main discussion in the Gemara of this is in Sanhedrin Daft Tzadi Zion. There's really a few different pieces there. We're not going to read the whole thing, but it's it's a uh, it, part of the this part of the discussion about about messianic times and Olam Haba, the world to come, uh, in at the end of Sanhedrin there, where we find the following discussion. So Rav Chanan Bar Tachlifa says to Rav Yosef, I saw someone holding a scroll, and what and find he talks about where it's from, and he says, what does it say on it? The the Kasuvba. After 4,291 years after creation, uh, the world will be orphaned, or something like that. Uh, there'll be a combination of, of things. Um, there'll be uh, wars between uh, sea monsters. Um, there will be... Uh, There'll be uh, the war between Gog and Mogo between those nations, and it will be, generally speaking, it will be the times of Mashiach. And this is a prediction. Uh, this is, uh, you know, for, for a couple hundred, well, some, depending on when this was stated, for some uh, time in the future. Uh, and it says, God only recreates the world after 7,000 worlds, so 7,000 years. So we'll have the end time at some point soon. And then the world will so be orphaned, whatever exactly that means. It'll be in some messianic state, and then it'll be restarted later. Maybe it's every 5,000 years, a sooner that the world will be restarted. That's one view, and we're going to see there's many other such views that give dates or give uh, specific predictions as to when Mashiach comes. On the other hand, we, we see a tradition from Rav Nasan. Well, we're, we're going to see uh, this will be interpreted in a few different ways. He says this, uh, this he has a piercing which literally means there still is a, a vision for the time. Uh, he will express the, the time or the end time and won't lie. If, uh, if he waits, if he takes, if he tarries, if he takes a long time, wait for him, because he'll certainly come and not be late. So it sounds like it's predicting some important time in the future. And he says, uh, which is a pasuk from uh, uh, which is a pasuk from uh, uh, Daniel that also has a prediction of you know a time and and uh, times and half the time not like those predictions. He says not like all these other uh, predictions, but rather the following: the first. Kingdom will last seven years. The second kingdom will last fifty years, fifty-two years, and finally Bar Ben Koziba, which we know as Bar Kochba, will last two and a half years. That's his prediction. So um, we're not sure what to make of that. There seem to be several different views as to how how the future will unfold, in, involving different kingdoms, involving presumably the end time. For our purposes, the next two lines are maybe the most important. He says, "My locates What does it mean to express or to state? the time or the end time and not lie. What does that mean? So I'm sure it means the person will tell you, give you a prediction for a time and will be, will not lie. But the way we are going to darshan, the way we're going to interpret it is as follows. Amr of Shmuel, Bar Nachmani, Amr of Yonasan, Tipach Atzman Shalmachash Ve'kitzen. There's a word play here. Instead of saying to 
to let out air, to express, to say something. Here we say tipach atzman. They should, uh, you know, the, the bones should blow up. Uh, so there should be some sort of uh, destruction. It's a curse of sorts for those who, who calculate the kitzin, for those who calculate the end time. So instead, it's almost turning the puzzle on its head. Instead of saying someone will express the end time and not lie, here we're saying that anyone who expresses the end time will, uh, will be blown up, will, uh, will have a, meet a bad end. Why? Shahayu Omrim, people would say, if you express the end time, since your predicted end time has come and Mashiach or redemption hasn't come, it's done, right? If you say Mashiach is coming next year, at the end of next year, people will be much more skeptical about Mashiach. So that's not the proper belief, and that's interpreting Rather, Ella, continuing in the Pasuk, uh, you should wait for Mashiach. Instead of predicting, you should wait as they interpret in that Pasuk. If you say, we're waiting, but he's not waiting for us, Mashiach's not coming, uh, that's what that's one you're worried. etc. There's a drush that you'd be that uh, you should be fine. So the justice is preventing Mashiach from coming because you're not yet worthy uh, of uh, of having Mashiach come. So the, the 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 key point here is there's a counter view. We saw we started off this Gemara, and again there's gonna be other Gemaras like this with a view that predicts what's going to happen in the future that predicts the end time, the Kates, and, the, uh, and then we have a view that says, no, tipach atzman, those who, predict, those who predict the end should have their bones blow up. They should be exploded. They, that's not a good thing to predict the end time. So there's a real tension here as to what the proper mode of relating to Mashiach is, to the time of Mashiach. Is this the sort of thing that we should calculate. We should try to figure out, is Mashiach coming now? Is Mashiach coming later? And if the rabbis in the Gemara do it, maybe that's something we should be doing too. Or should there be some prohibition or some curse even of those who calculate the end? Um, and Rashi, Rashi sort of adds a bit of color to this prohibition via Feach Leketz. Tipach Nafsho Shomachashivakates. So, right, someone who calculates the end should their, their self or their soul should blow up. Shalohailo Lechazev, the Lomar, Kevin Chigia, etc. He shouldn't have lied. He shouldn't have given a false prediction. So the way Rashi's taking it, at least one could read it, that the main problem is that it'll be false. The problem with calculating the end is you might be wrong. And if you're wrong, you're going to mislead people. It will be bad. But theoretically, you could say, if you, if you knew for sure when the end was, maybe you could calculate. Maybe it wouldn't be a problem with calculating it. And even in the Gemara itself, it sounds like the main concern is a pragmatic one, right? In, in, the, uh, in the scenario where you're wrong about the prediction, people who accepted your prediction will be less, uh, less uh, disposed to be believers in Mashiach afterwards. This prohibition or this, uh, this uh, statement, strong statement against predicting uh, the, the end time is, is stated even more uh, strongly in Masechus Derech Eretz, where Rabbi Yossi says, One who gives an end time doesn't receive a portion in the world to come, and he groups it together with all sorts of other people, uh, doesn't doesn't have a place in the world to come. Those who hate hates uh, Torah scholars, false prophets, those who tell Lashon Hara, uh, not a great uh, group to be a part of. So uh, and and uh, as with strong language, you lose your your part, portion in the world to come. So this is the anti predicting the end view. Just to just point quickly to a few other Gemaras where Chazal, where various rabbis in the Talmud do predict the end. Amr of Katina Shizalfei Shane Hava Alma Vechad the world will, will exist for 6,000 years, and then for 1,000 years will be destroyed. This is something uh, I hear uh, periodically people saying, well, you know, we're now in 5780. Uh, Mashiach has 220 years before it's over, right? By the end of 6,000 years, it will be done. Abayim Amar Trechar, there's really 2,000 years when it's destroyed. Other views uh, other views as well in that, in that vein, which that's not giving a specific date, but that's sort of giving at least an end date, a range beyond which uh, the world will be destroyed. Maybe it is giving a specific date. It's not exactly clear, as, as will, will be the case with just about every Gemara we see. There are multiple interpretations of how to, how to count, when to count from, is it literal or not, what exactly these things mean. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, question marks and ambiguity around this uh, and a lot of interpretations as well. Yeah, just to give another example, Amr Abi Khanina, 400 years after the destruction of the temple, 
uh, in the year 70 or the year 58, uh, the way Chazal might have calculated it. Someone offers you a perfect, a great business proposition. You buy something, uh, not even a penny on the dollar, a tenth of a penny on the on the dollar. Uh, you shouldn't pay because Mashiach's coming right now, as Rashi says. Al Tikashi Kate Hagula, 400 years after the destruction of the temple, it's over. The 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 uh, the exile is over. It's now time of redemption. You're just throwing your dollar away because you're going to be immediately, imminently coming to Eretz Yisrael, to the, to the redemption. So you shouldn't buy anything. After uh, 4,231 years, after creation, same point, you shouldn't buy any real estate unless it's in Israel because the, the redemption is imminent. You might have noticed before, the number we saw was 4,291. Here it's 4,231. Some have suggested that it's actually a, uh, a typographical error, a Girsa error, uh, and really uh, this is the same number. Um, but uh, you know, so beyond beyond the scope of our discussion now. Um, and he says, "My There's a three-year differential between these two dates. So either we're talking about 468 CE or maybe 471 CE. Uh, Some people say that those extra years may correlate to certain interpretations of Sefer Daniel, where he talks about additional days that one needs to wait. We're not going to go into all these details, but I think what, what we should be noting from all this is that there are multiple Amidic sources that give dates, and there's much interpretation that tries to figure it out. Actually, I, I didn't cite the Pukim in Daniel, but if you look there, Rashi and many others on Daniel has, uh, goes into great detail to try to calculate what, what's happening when and which, uh, which kingships take over when and what the years are, etc. Moving to a, a different source, not talking about when uh, in terms of years, not giving a year when Mashiach will come, but giving a, a description of the time that Mashiach comes in Shira, Shira, and Rabbah. And there are many sources like this. This is one that uh, was cherry picked because it's relevant and has been used recently. Uh, the, uh, the fig tree has, has given off its, its figs, its fruit. Right before the messianic era, there is a great, there will be a great plague in the world, and evildoers will be destroyed. You can see how that might be relevant. Put that in the back of your head. Um, so uh, that there, so as as was mentioned, there are multiple sources that would give one the sense that one should try uh, and can uh, succeed potentially in finding the right date for the redemption. Of course, we've passed the year 468, 471, whatever other dates, and there hasn't been. Uh, so obviously that particular prediction is wrong, but maybe one might argue uh, that uh, we, you know, we should follow in Chazal's footsteps and continue trying to find the right date. However, there are other sources in Chazal beyond the one we saw, beyond the curse and the, and the uh, near prohibition, the, the, uh, the loss of the world to come for those who predict the end. There are other sources in Chazal that also uh, don't look kindly on the endeavor of predicting the end. In Koheles Rabbah, Someone asks you, what's the time of redemption? You tell him, well, in the, in the Torah it says, the day of, of vengeance and therefore redemption is in my heart, says God. Right? So if it's in God's heart, that means no person knows the answer. It's a, it's a fool's mission to try to figure out the answer because it's impossible. No, no one knows by definition. That's in God's heart. God keeping his cards close to his chest. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Shua, Ben Levi, Shlosha Simanim Simantila, Vesiamtila, Vekuraso Shal Moshe, Vagai Veretz Mohmu, Besbaor, Vavopichem, Vloyada Ishes Kuraso, Vavolupuma Logali, Aliva Lupum Logalia, Puma Leman Gali. So it's sort of giving a parallel case. The Torah gives three hints as to where Moshe is buried, and the Torah also says no one knows where Moshe is buried, meaning just because there are hints out there doesn't mean that people know how to figure them out. So we should be very skeptical of all the calculations because we're, you know, God, God's keeping his cards close. We just don't know. We can't figure out when, uh, when the redemption is. And uh, the Gemara Megillah talks about Daniel himself. Daniel, who has all these predictions about the end. Um, and so I'm a Rava, Ach Daniel Ta Daniel himself was wrong in, in the calculation. This is Daniel, the biblical book with, uh, you know, divine inspiration coming up with, uh, the dates of the of ending the the dis, ending the uh, 
Gullus, ending the exile, and he himself was wrong. Finally, somehow knows the word binosi to divine means that there was a mistake. But if even Daniel made a mistake, presumably uh, non-biblical authors have uh, less of a chance of finding the right answer. So here's a second potential objection. We, have, we saw the first objection to calculating the end is if you are wrong, it will lead to bad results. People will no longer think, they will no longer take Mashiach seriously. And uh, now we have a different, a different problem, which is that it's actually, maybe it's actually impossible. It's not that there's a risk of, uh, a risk of people being less observant or, or taking, taking Mashiach less seriously or something like that. It's not that there's a risk that it's impossible. People are unable to, uh, to find the right answer. And this could be supported by a whole bunch of other Gemaras that talk about limitations, about, about uh, things that prevent the Mashiach from coming. So let's read off a whole bunch of them. The redemption only comes if Rome, evil, the evil Roman Empire, takes over the world for nine months. The son of David, meaning Mashiach, won't come until all the souls are used up in bodies, meaning there's a, there's a finite number of human souls that need to be used up before the Mashiach comes. Until the end of the two great uh, houses of leadership in, among the Jewish people, the uh, Exilarch in Babylonia and the, uh, the prince, the Nasi in Eretz Israel, until those houses uh, end, until those, those leadership groups uh, cl- uh, you know, close up shop, so to speak, Mashiach won't come. Ain ben David Bach, this habe kolam malchus luminus. Mashiach won't come until the whole government becomes uh, becomes uh, amin, becomes uh, apostates. Uh, or, and in that same Gemara, several other versions of this. Ain ben David Bach, Yerba Hamasuros, until there's a lot of uh, Mosers, a lot of, of people turning in their fellow Jew to the government of Rachrachi, Smatua Talmidim, until there's very few students. Rachrachi, Tichla, Prutam, and Akis, until there's no coin in the pocket, there's no money. Some, uh, for those who know contemporary modern Hebrew, you might say uh, that that's the equivalent of so everyone's uh, in the minus. Until people give up hope for the redemption. So this Gemara, this sounds like a, a lot of these uh, these points are very uh, are well. The, the the view of what what things look like before the redemption is very pessimistic. Everything goes downhill. There's no there's no money. There's no no one studying Torah. There's no believers. Uh, everyone's given up hope of the redemption. That's precisely when the redemption will come. And a lot of these, a lot of these points indicate that Mashiach comes at a low point, not not from a position of strength, but precisely from a position of weakness. Which of course, uh, which of course is you know is what may lead to those pointing to and thinking about the redemption in times of weakness. Um, and finally, one last Gemara: Amar Rav Kalu Kolakitzim Masim Tovim. All predictions of a specific date have passed. All the predictions are wrong, and or maybe they weren't wrong. Maybe they were potential uh, endpoints that weren't fulfilled. And now all we have to do is chuvan masintovim, repentance and good deeds. That's the only way to bring about the Messiah. There's no date that's more more relevant than any other. So on all of these views, especially Rav's, that, that, that there is no particular date, but even right, so you can't predict the end if there is no date to predict. And also all the other views that there are, there's a whole variety of factors that need to come to come into effect, it's very hard to calculate the right date given those limitations. Let's jump now to the Rishonim, to some of the medieval thinkers and their interpretations of the Gemara and this prohibition or this curse, the curse of those who calculate the end. So before we get to that, just it's important to start with the Rambam, source 16 here, the Rambam uh, presenting one of his articles of faith, the belief in Mashiach, return, restore the divinic dynasty, build the temple, he'll, he'll bring in all of the uh, dispersed Jews, restore all the earlier uh, laws, bringing Karbanos, those who say that, according to the Rambam, there's no Karbanos in the time of the uh, um, in the Messianic era, this is that's explicitly opposed by this line. Those in Shmit and and Shmit and Yovel and all the other laws. So that's a basic a basic statement, a basic principle, and one must believe in this. The Rambam says, "Ve'kol mi she'eno ma'min bo, o mi she'eno mechakel be'yaso, 
lo vishar neviim bilvadu kofer, elavitore over Moshe Rabbeinu. You're not just denying, uh, you're not just denying this principle, you're actually denying the entire Torah. So this is an important, uh, this is an important principle that, uh, that has to be followed, and, uh, and that's very clear. So we're going to see, although the Rambam does not, uh, does, not support, uh, does not support predicting the end, at the same time, uh, the Rambam very much is a believer in Mashiach in Messianic times, and uh, no one should, uh, certainly in everything he wrote, um, you know, some, uh, there's some theories that he didn't mean what he wrote, but we're going to work with what the Rambam actually said, um, that uh, Mashiach is a basic principle, and one who denies it has essentially denied the entire Torah. So that's, that's the basic principle here. Now, nevertheless, despite this important principle, um, you might think someone should focus on it and try to think about Mashiach and when Mashiach's coming. And uh, uh, instead, if you look, the next parak, source number 17 here, uh, Rabbi talks about what Mashiach looks like, and he gives a few different, he says, he points out that uh, the Rambam's view, Ein bein olam azel, the Yomazah Mashiach, but Shiva Malchios there's really not much of a difference. The only difference is who controls the government, that... Uh, that there won't be um, that uh, the government won't be controlled by people foreign to Israel, but by by Israel, and that will be they'll be supportive of Torah observance. And then he also says there's a lot of disputes, and we don't really know, etc. But uh, towards the end of this halacha, he writes, um, he writes, "Lo adam No one really knows. They're they're not clear at all. Uh, the the chacham the rabbis don't really have a tradition. They do their best to interpret the verses. There's a lot of dispute. It doesn't really matter, actually. The point is interpreting exactly these questions and uh, interpreting the very details of them. That's not a principle. That's not an ikaradas. never spend too much time with Agadah, with non-halachic descriptions. Uh, shouldn't spend too much time with these midrashim. Talking about the Mashiach. You shouldn't make these, uh, these descriptions the main thing. They don't lead to fear of God, nor to love of God. Similarly, one shouldn't calculate the end times. Um, the bone, the, the spirit, uh, he has a slightly different language. The spirit of those who calculate the end should be blown up. A person should wait and believe the general matter, like we said. So one should believe in Mashiach in a general sense. One should not try to work out every detail of it. And certainly, one should not give a date, you not, not give a prediction as to when Mashiach uh, should come. So the Ramam takes the view, clearly, very explicitly, excites that line in the Gemara. Uh, that one should not calculate these dates. Similarly, in his parish of Cyrus, his Hakdama Karakhelik, where he gives the basic principles, his Yogimili Karim, uh, and this is a translation from, from the uh, Judeo Arabic, the 12th principle of faith is believing in the, in the time of Mashiach, to believe that it'll come. Don't say it's, it's late or it's not coming. If he's, if he's taking time, wait for him. And he says we shouldn't set a time. We shouldn't try to figure out when this is happening. He shouldn't interpret the psukim to figure out when. What's the Gemara again? So we, the, you know, he's, the Ramah is very clear. This is an important belief. It's one of the 13 principles of faith. One must believe it. But one should believe it in a general sense, not work out all the details, and certainly not calculate when it happens. Uh, interestingly enough, in, in the, one of the Ramah's letters to Taiman, to Yemen, uh, the Ram's letter to Taiman, where they were they were dealing with a messianic uh, claimant. So the Ramam himself says, I don't calculate dates, but then he also said, actually, I know there's a date, but I'm not going to tell you. So it's sort of even the Ramam isn't 100%, but maybe maybe there is a, a broader goal in sort of uh, you know calming the people by saying that there is an answer, uh, even though you don't know. We'll put the Ramam on this issue to the side for a minute. There are some other views in terms of interpreting that Gemara. Uh, pro, uh, that, that's opposed to interpreting, that's opposed to uh, predicting the date. So the Abarbanel here uh, in, in Mayane Yeshua. So he says, um, he talks about the Gemara says, those three lines, and he's going to tie this These prohibitions about 
predicting the end and, and, and such, those are meant, those are prohibitions for astrologers. Right, people who have some sort of uh, a sheet, a chart with dates, with uh, uh, you know, figuring out which which seasons or which years are the right time for redemption. Uh, you know, there those astrologers, uh, their zodiac and whatnot. That that's prohibited. That's related. Predicting the end is related to soda ibra, which is about uh, figuring out uh, astronomy because astrologers bring together astronomy and prediction. And he says, These are the ones who calculate the ends. Like people who predict the tkufa, the year, exactly when the year begins, and the mazalos, the uh, the zodiac, the constellations. The whole prohibition is only for astrologers. If you're someone who's Who's uh, who's using Ruach Hakodesh? You're you're using the Navi. You're trying to interpret Daniel or other biblical texts and to figure out when uh, the the when Mashiach will come. Based on that, there's no prohibition for people in that context. The only prohibition is for astrologers. So the whole Gemara doesn't apply to everyone else. Everyone who you know, everyone who nowadays might want to interpret it, not using astrology, but using the Gemara, using the sources. There's no such prohibition. Uh, in in a similar direction, but with different details, the Ramban in Sefer Hagula also points uh, towards some exceptions to this rule. So he quotes the Gemara. He's he, well, he's going to talk about the case. He's going to talk about the end times. Because before I talk about the end times, I need to apologize. I need to give a justification for how one's allowed to do this. He quotes the Gemara. Uh, and uh, he says, um, you know, Chazal. Some people know the end times. But, uh, you know, like Rabbi Akiva was told uh, some details about this. And the Enam wrote some Shiskala Adavala Hamon. They know the answer. They don't want to tell people. Why? Penny is a Rifion Bachalisha's Tikvasan. That'll weaken people's faith. Um, and he says, The Achshav Batlumi Menut Hatanos Ela Mimasha Nachu Bachar Sayamim. Well, those objections in the time of the Gemara, a thousand years before for the Ramban, or, or a thousand years or so, that was back then. Back then, Mashiach was so far away, because right, obviously Mashiach hadn't come by the time of the Ramban. So in the time of the Gemara, Mashiach was so far away that saying Mashiach's going to come in a thousand years, that's going to scare people away. People will say, well, you know, what's it even worth? Um, um, they, they'll lose hope. They'll certainly lose hope in Mashiach and maybe even more broadly. But now we're in Akhir Sayyamim. We're now very much towards the end of days. The end of days are coming, says the Ramban. So this prohibition of saying against saying Mashiach's coming in a thousand years because people will lose hope no longer applies. So that's one argument he makes. Uh, of course, the ironic point is anyone can make that same argument, right? Anyone can say just because people in the past didn't predict the end, that's because the end was too far off. But now, by definition later, the end is closer. So it's sort of an interesting thing. And then, of course, uh, the Ramban, uh, you know, the Ramban, uh, his predictions weren't fulfilled. Um, uh, but we're not going to get into that. The Ramban also says, and maybe this, this relates to that point, uh, he says that he's not giving an absolute prediction. Because it's so right, we're close to the end. We're close to the form. But he says, "Blow Thomas, they should varenu, but shema ve'efshar. bo Everything we're saying, says the Ramban. Everything I'm going to tell you about the end end of days is, you know, it's a maybe, it's a possibility, it's a it's derech efshar. I'm not giving you absolute answers." And that, that, I think, is another reason to be less worried about calculating the end if one does it in a, in a Shema, in a maybe, and, you know, keep your eyes open. Something might be brewing messianically. That's different than saying Mashiach is coming next year no matter what. So those are a couple of, of ways of minimizing the Gemara, uh, the Gemara that prohibits or, or curses those who, who predict the end by saying, well, that's only for astrologers, not for prophets, not for, not for people who study who are studying the Torah. Or that was only in early times, not now. Or that that's only for those who say definitely instead of saying maybe. The Mabit, however, 16th century interpreter of the Rambam, among other things, he he uh, he makes it very clear that the prohibition is in effect now. He quotes the Rambam, his 12th Ikar that we saw earlier. Um, he talks to me, analyzes a bit. We won't look at that right now. But he says, Just like all the principles of faith are applied throughout, so too this one. Um, and uh, meaning the, the belief in Mashiach that hasn't disappeared, and uh, 
Um, and, and, as, and as he pointed out in the previous uh, paragraph, he, he explains how one should, the way it works, the, the principle, that the way the Ramah formulates it is to believe in a general sense, not to give specifics. Uh, and he says, It's there, no time is given. This is on purpose, right? As soon as you, as soon as you give a date, you're limiting when Mashiach can come. The whole point is there's no date to be given because one's supposed to believe Mashiach can come at any point in time. And uh, therefore giving it a date is actually a problem. It's actually not only not an enhancement of the belief in Mashiach to give a date, it's actually undermining it. And this principle applies even now, so the, the Gemara about, uh, along with everything else, the Gemara about not giving specific predictions of specific dates for Mashiach is fully in effect. Um, fine. So moving now from, from uh, uh, the times of the Talmud to the present day, we, it's very interesting to see some of the patterns that have, uh, that have developed that, uh, that build upon the earlier sources and take them in, in different directions. You need to look no further than the New York Times uh, for, for a source about, about how some Jews predicted the end of the Messianic era given coronavirus. So this is part of a much longer article, but just one paragraph about uh, this article about uh, how some Kharidim in Israel were particularly hit by, uh, by coronavirus a couple months ago. So he says in Bnei Brak, some re residents remained upbeat. Quotes from Spurn, some fellow, his, his, uh, his rabbi was sick, but he had been taught presumably in yeshiva, that the pandemic, like wars, or even the Holocaust, was getting us closer to the redemption, the coming of, of the Messiah. So, uh, you know, this is a very widespread idea. It comes up in a lot of different places. We're going to see across different community groups, uh, from, from uh, Haredi to non-Haredi, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, uh, Chabad, everything else. This theme has come up, uh, you know, outside of... of uh, of uh, traditionally observant Jews. I don't know, I haven't seen it much, but at least within traditionally observant Jews across the board, people have raised this issue. Uh, and again, we saw it in the New York Times. We also see it in the letter that, uh, that they spent Shagadol, BMG, the Lakewood Yeshiva, uh, sent out. When they closed Yeshiva, March 16th, the, the government uh, required that they, they close down. So one of the, there's much more to say about this letter, but one of the sub-themes of this letter is the Messianic, uh, sub uh, uh, undertones of it. They say the eve of the month, they don't give a date uh, they, at the top, they say the eve of the month when salvation surrounds, or Erev Kodesh Yeshuos, Bomakifos. So salvation surrounds. That's, that's Nisan. The month of Nisan is a time of redemption. The Nisan Nigalu, Nisan Asidim Nigal, so the Gemara Shana, in one view. So the redemption in, of, from Egypt happened in Nisan, and the future redemption on some views will happen in Nisan. They're talking about that. They, uh, they talk about the reason why they're closing. They're, they're forced to close by the government in great distress. Everyone's uh, obligated to increase Torah study and, and prayer so that we merit a full salvation soon. And it says, may we all merit, uh, if I can read the Hebrew, Nizka Kulanu, as in the days of your leaving the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. The Pasuk and Micha. Um, but they're saying the hope is to have a miracle, to have redemption, to have, presumably, to have Mashiach come or some form of redemption at the very least. Now, uh, at the, in, in, uh, right, before, right before Pesach in the month of Nisan, signed by the four, uh, the four Rashi Yeshiva. This was on 20th of Adar, uh, soon before Pesach. So, uh, you know, from, from the New York Times to the letters posted in the, in the Lakewood Yeshiva across the board, there is this theme that Mashiach is expected, or at least redemption, one might distinguish, but presumably those, uh, those can be conflated for these purposes, uh, that the redemption and Mashiach is being expected now, given coronavirus, given the crisis. Even, even uh, all you might even say it became Israeli government policy, maybe something slightly less than that. But there was an interview with Yaakov Litzman, who at the time was the health minister in Israel, and they asked him, what are the chances of there'll be a complete shutdown before Pesach, Litzman responded, Well, we're hoping and praying Mashiach will come first. In fact, I'm sure that um, Mashiach will come before Pesach and we'll all be redeemed. This is a an interview with a government uh, official in their official capacity as the Minister of Health. And this is the answer. Are we going to shut down before Pesach? 
Mashiach will come before Pesach. So let's let's try to take a look at at this phenomenon. What what exactly draws people, uh, draws different thinkers, or has drawn different thinkers to focus on on Mashiach. So one theme, and and we saw this uh, mentioned explicitly a couple of times, is the timing. The timing plays a real role um, because a lot of the a lot of these discussions happened late uh, late other early Nisan, which of course was soon after the coronavirus really uh, started affecting Israel and America, started affecting large. Uh, Jewish communities, and uh, and part of it is the season, right? In Nisan, Nisan is the time of redemption, and uh, you know, we, uh, given the Judaism's uh, cyclical view of history, when you think Nisan, you think redemption. So that's that's at least one reason. I think another reason why many of these discussions we're going to see are early on is because uh, once the once the uh, once coronavirus got worse and more and more people were dying, it sort of felt a bit out of place to uh, to refer to Mashiach. Um, or maybe you know, just the the longer it goes on, the less people think that that uh, something something uh, different is going to happen. But there's, so there's going to be a few reasons why why uh, most of these treatments are early on, but not all. Um, so so one again, one reason is the season, is the timing, is Nisan and Pesach. But we'll see there are other other factors that that people invoke as well. So this article, this is an Aish uh, uh, on their on their website by uh, Sari Yocheved Rigler, where where she talks about how. The, uh, we're moving towards, we're moving forward towards redemption, towards Messiah. Some have pointed out that uh, the way to think about Jewish time is maybe not just cyclical, that, you know, every season comes back on itself, um, right? Like uh, Nisan being a time of redemption every year, just like in, in Pesach, but really to think of it three-dimensionally, it's also moving forward. So she says, humanity is on a train passing through a dark tunnel. So it's simultaneously cyclical and moving forward. So some have called this the corkscrew a version or a vision of history that Judaism has that that there is a cyclical aspect, but there's also a forward moving aspect. Um, so uh, so uh, she says that uh, it, we're moving towards the messianic era, and it comes about through the advent of universal God consciousness. The more people recognize God in the world, the sooner uh, Mashiach will come. And uh, and we'll, you know God, and once that happens, it'll be much easier to see God in the world. She she writes very interestingly. Um, we must clarify a crucial issue. Most rabbis are reluctant to talk about Mashiach's coming, and for good reason. Um, I'm not sure. It's hard to sort of evaluate that question. Most rabbis, there definitely is a fair amount out there, as as we'll see over the next few minutes. But maybe it's not less explicitly or less certainly less. There's less published on this topic than some of the other topics we've looked at. Um, so it could be that some rabbis are holding back. Uh, and she says, making reference to what we saw earlier, uh, that there's good reason to be. Uh, there's good reason to be reticent here, to be reluctant here, because historically false messiahs have brought calamity to the Jewish people. You wouldn't want to predict Mashiach and be wrong. That would lead to bad things, as we, as we mentioned before. Um, and, and there's a whole question whether it's permitted to calculate the coming of Mashiach. The predominant view is that it's forbidden to calculate the date, as we saw in the Rambam. Nevertheless, over the past several decades, uh, people, uh, you know, rabbis have said that humanity is in the time of heavenly Mashiach, birth pangs of Mashiach. Therefore, there are all these wars, presumably. Uh, well, I guess you can include World War II in this, but especially in Israel, many wars and wars and terrorism, those are a prelude to Mashiach. Uh, and I think there's an important frame here that she presents. There's two different views as to whether the precondition for Mashiach will be exceptionally good or exceptionally bad. We saw many Gemaras that point to things being very bad. On the other hand, there are some other sources that talk about a general growth or tshuva, right? Tshuva, Mashiach is waiting for tshuva. Uh, so there's really two different views as to whether uh, the world being in a better place or in a worse place is actually a sign of the Messiah. Um, she points to all sorts of problems in society and ties that in as well as, as you know, indicating we're in a bad place. And now COVID-19 and the Messiah. So, and this is this is written already uh, a decent way into the things. It's late April and uh, many have died and we're, the world will never return to its pre-COVID state. That's that's the frame that, that she's looking at. And she says uh, the... Rather than such predictions for the future, leading us to anxiety and despair, Judaism's response is always hope, because we are assured that all roads, however rough, lead to the complete redemption. Right, the messianic idea, one of the implications of a messianic idea is, at the end, at the end, there will be redemption. Everything will work out. So that's why we should always have a positive attitude. I'm not sure this is the only way of looking at, at Mashiach, but uh, it's certainly a popular one. And uh, she, she writes, there's also a pragmatic aspect. Resol this resolute optimism, based on biblical guarantees, has enabled the Jewish people to weather all the crises of our long and challenging history. 
the current global crisis could be a likely scenario for the advent of Mashiach. So she doesn't give a, a hard prediction, but she very much is open to this idea uh, that maybe now this is the voice of Mashiach coming about. And again, the idea that the time of crisis is itself an indication that that redemption is happening, not just the, not just coronavirus, but also problems in society at large. Um, fine. Uh, and, right, and, and she notes several, several Talmudic sources, how the redemption will come with great miracles um, or in a time of upheaval, earthquakes and natural disasters. Maybe that's what we have here. And uh, we need to be ready for Mashiach so we can recognize Mashiach when he arrives. So that's one treatment of it. Another, another fellow, Yikutiel Ben Yaakov, will move through this more quickly, also talks about, this is very early on, this is March 18th, also talks about um, how he, he, he senses that Mashiach is coming. Why? This is early on when, when Iran, uh, Iran, Italy, and China were leading the world in corona casualties. And uh, his, his, his uh, assertion is Messiah comes after God takes revenge against the nations. That was one of the sources we saw before. Just like in Egypt, Pesach connection, God struck the Egyptians with plagues, and then there was the redemption from Egypt. So, so too here, God sanctifies his name. And coronavirus is part of that, putting, putting down the other nations and paving the way for God uh, going forward. Um, fine. And there are some direct uh, points he, he, he uses, inc including, he quotes the Medrash Hashir Hashirim we saw before. The Medrash Hashirim says there will be a big plague before Messiah comes. Prior to Mashiach, there will be a big plague. That's exactly, in his opinion, what we're experiencing now. And he says the key to redemption, and now things get a little political, is in showing unwavering faith in God. Jews are only rescued from bondage after they uh, carried out blatant acts of faith, such as there's the Medrash about uh, slaughtering the, the, or taking the sheep from the Egyptians, that being a very risky endeavor. Sheep were seen as, as gods, and by taking them, they were taking risks, great acts of faith, and that's what the, how they merited redemption. So in his view, um, you know, Israel needs to take a, a hard right view and not give up, not uh, annex part of the West Bank and give up the other part. Uh, very political, uh, a, a far right position here. Um, but then he, he ties it in to, uh, to some gematria. He says, it is not coincidental that Corona and the Trump deal have the same gematria. I wasn't able to figure out what, uh, which translation of Trump deal he had or how exactly he spells Corona. But he says also Corona and Messiah coming share the same equivalent numeric gematria. I also am not sure what that is. I, I did find someone did the math that Mashiach and Corona with two Alephs uh, comes out to the same gematria. You know, there's always a little flexibility with, with gematria because uh, you can spell things differently. So whatever it is, there are gematrias. Many have pointed to gematrias connecting coronavirus to Mashiach, some also connected to these political issues. Um, and, and here, against the frame that it's all about faith, it's all about taking risks or taking political risks in a, in a way of showing uh, faith to God in this view. Another connection that some have drawn, a very interesting uh, take here, that um, people, you know, he says, why is there, everyone's washing their hands now, everyone's all careful of contamination. It's because Hashem's preparing us for the concept of Tuma and Tara, that uh, people are tummy and you have to be far away from them. And the, the kicker is 14 days. Quarantine is 14 days. Why 14 days? It could have been more or less. So 14 days, just like, uh, you know, in, in, with, uh, if you have saras, you have to wait a week or, or, or two weeks. Sometimes it's 14 days. So that's a proof that, uh, that, that's a proof that, as he says, Hashem is clearly preparing us for the Mashiach to get used to the concept. So again, there are some details that sort of correlate, correspond nicely, that lead people to assert that Mashiach is coming, and this is all a, a, uh, a preparation for that. Now, in addition to those who, who make explicit, uh, you know, predictions or say Mashiach is clearly coming or is, is probably coming now, there are some who have, who have sort of taken a more general point to say that coronavirus, the situation in coronavirus, tells us something about Mashiach and our preparedness for Mashiach, even if it doesn't give us an absolute prediction. So uh, this will uh, be based on a recording from Mark Penner, uh, of YU, and again, as I said, you know, this is not limited to the Haredi world by any means. Um, so he spoke about um, spoke about the relation between Eliyahu and Mashiach. Why does Eliyahu need to come first? And the, this, his view is that Eliyahu is supposed to help prepare us, help make, uh, help uh, the Jewish people feel ready to accept uh, to accept Mashiach, to have a yearning for it and a, and a, pre a preparedness to be able to go forward when Mashiach comes. And he says. You know, I don't always yearn to be there at the Kosel in the Beis HaMikdash, but today I do. 
today, this is mid, uh, late, late-ish March, a, bit, a couple weeks into coronavirus, what happened over the last two weeks? And he gives uh, sort of a phenomenological, uh, the experiential uh, analysis of what, of what people were feeling then and probably still feeling now. Right? People generally say, I can't go to Eretz Yisrael, I, I can't go even if Mashiach comes. I can't go because of my business. But of course today, there is no business. What business? If you have a business, it's online. You can certainly go to Israel. I can't go because I'm connected to my community and my shul. What shul? I need to be near my yeshiva. Well, your yeshiva's online. I need to be near my family. We can't be, we can't be near our families anyway. So he says there's no more excuses for us to be fully prepared and ready to, to go to Israel. Again, he's not predicting that Mashiach's coming now, but he's saying that the situation we're in, sort of uh, the pulling back or the minimalism of life under coronavirus, we're all sort of stuck at home, all our communication, you know, especially then, uh, uh, all communication is, is uh, virtual over virtual means. We can't be close to people. We can't be in groups. This, uh, that minimalism prepares us for major shifts in life, right? And, and un, an unexpected and unwished for change in life uh, prepares one for further changes. It says we want to take the plane. We want to be worshiping together with other Jews. We want to be able to take the plane to Eretz Yisrael and uh, embrace, embrace uh, the messianic time. Um, and that's the idea of that's the idea of Eliyahu to prepare us. We need a yearn to follow Eliyahu. And he says, now moving a bit more towards saying that we are in an age, a messianic age. I believe in so many ways that Eliyahu is here. Eliyahu has made us want Mashiach. And not quite saying a messianic era is imminent, but saying where it's certainly helping us move towards Mashiach. Two weeks ago, if you said Mashiach had come, our first reaction would be, how can I move everything? How can I disrupt our whole life? But now, um, now, if Mashiach came tomorrow, we would run out of our home so fast and follow him, Eretz Yisrael. So uh, that's, that's the, the main point that, 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 that uh, coronavirus has allowed us, the hope, that greater hope towards Mashiach, and maybe implication that Mashiach is coming without actually, without actually making that point explicitly. So that's why I think it's not quite the same as the other approaches. It's a bit more nuanced, a bit more, uh, uh, you know, more making an analysis about our situation in light of coronavirus, Rather than uh, rather than talking about Mashiach, uh, you know, rather than looking predicting when Mashiach is going to come from the outside, it's talking about us and our preparedness for Mashiach. Within the Chabad context, uh, Rabbi Noam Wagner, also another video. As I said, there's a lot more video material on this topic than there is uh, written material, and he says, "Is coronavirus connected to Mashiach coming?" Well, everything's connected. Everything nowadays it's certainly a sign and a prelude. Um, certainly something big like this, but he says, he quotes the Gemara, and he has a nice uh, interpretation. It doesn't just mean to blow up their bones. It means to sort of knock the wind out of them because uh, because you get, uh, you know, you have all this excitement and energy that you build up and you, you almost puncture that balloon. When Mashiach doesn't come at the predicted time, that leads you to, uh, to despair and to depression. And he quotes the Rebbe. The Rebbe says, even though Rishonim, other great people, predicted Mashiach, even on the view that you can predict the end, predict the specific date, we can't do that anymore because we're not on their level anymore. Um, so that's, that's an, interesting, an interesting point. And he says we need to, ever since the Rebbe declared 29 years ago, I guess 1991, towards the end of the Babish Rebbe's life, the Rebbe declared that, we're, that Mashiach is coming, we're in a messianic age, we need to take that idea and be very... Uh, you know, be very committed to it. Our belief and faith have to be at least as strong today as it was 29 years ago, because it's the word of Hashem. And he says, ah, the Rebbe told us a nevuah. He uses a strong language. Says, uh, implies the Rebbe is actually a navi. Maybe he's using that metaphorically, maybe not. The Rebbe gave a nevuah that Mashiach's coming, and we need to believe at all times that Mashiach is coming now. So as soon as you say Mashiach's coming because of coronavirus, you're putting all your eggs in that basket, so to speak. And if you, if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't come true, then you end up with, with uh, disappointment. As he says, um, uh, if Hashem shows us something and shakes up the entire world, like now, like coronavirus, there's no doubt that he's showing us that Mashiach is coming. But our belief in it shouldn't be based on a particular midrash or a particular sign, because then later we lose our faith. So we need to have 100% faith. We know Hashem shook up the world. Everyone needs to be ready more than ever um, and strengthen every Jew regarding faith that he needs a Mashiach ba. It's really a fascinating idea, essentially saying almost something and, and the opposite thing at the same time, which is since at every moment 
we need to be ready for Mashiach to come. Ever since the Rebbe said, his nevuah, that Mashiach's coming now, 29 years ago, we need to always think Mashiach's coming now. As soon as you say Mashiach's coming now, because of coronavirus, more than any other time, you've actually missed the point. It's not, then you're, then you're saying there's a, some specific reason beyond that, that uh, prediction from the Rebbe. No, Mashiach's coming now because the Rebbe said Mashiach's coming now, not because of coronavirus. So it may be some sign, it may be to shake us up, it may be to help prepare us, but that's not, there's no reason to connect a coronavirus, particularly to Mashiach, more than any other moment in time. Now there's, there's really two different ways of reading this, and, and Chabad Messianism in general, um, very, very quickly. Some have argued that, uh, you know, you could really take this, this paragraph and say, well, you know, why not say the opposite? Why not say coronavirus proves that Mashiach's really coming now? So, you know, if, if, you know, it sounds almost like he doesn't really believe Mashiach's coming now, because he's saying that we shouldn't take this as a sign that, that it's coming now any, any more than it comes at any other point in time. But some have argued, I don't know if this is convincing at all, um, but some have argued that the, the Chabad view is to always believe in Mashiach coming, but not to, you know, but sort of the expectation is that one will always be expecting an imminent Mashiach, rather than that that expectation will ever be fulfilled or come to an end. So I don't think that's a reasonable reading. Um, I don't think it's the strongest reading, certainly, but, you know, you have these almost paradoxical treatments like this, saying we need Mashiach coming immediately, but not because of any particular thing, because we know we're always supposed to believe, um, you know, for the past 29 years and forward, we're always supposed to believe that Mashiach is coming now. That's really a, you know, interesting theory. I'm not sure how well it plays out. Um, I'll just mention quickly, the messianic predictions exist around coronavirus, not only in, in Judaism, but in other religions as well. There's this extended article um, uh, uh, from a Christian perspective that I just quoted the first couple lines about, goes into right, birth pangs of Mashiach, even uses the Hebrew, heavily Mashiach, uh, as wars, earthquakes, and plagues, and again, points to the plague, as we saw. Um, in Islam, one, one major Islamic uh, leader uh, was quoted as saying, well, was quoted as saying that, that we should expect, you know, uh, we should expect Mashiach to come, and even said, spread the virus, because it will accelerate the emergence of al-Mahdi, of the, of the Savior. Um, so I, don't, I didn't see that in any Jewish context, people saying that uh, coronavirus should be perpetuated or even that it's good. I didn't see that anywhere, but there are other religions. People uh, respond to that. I think there's a you know, deep human, human response that in a time of crisis, one hopes for, for great redemption, even more than one would in, in natural times. And keep that in mind, that, that almost reflex, that, that the people have to help for the best in the times when it's the worst, because we'll see there's an interesting response to it. So now we'll see a few objections to a messianic prediction. Um, and this also we'll see in different, different, uh, different uh, groups, different worlds. So this is from the YU world, uh, Rabbi Cyril Malitsky, where he said someone came to him. He's, he's a, you know, one of the rabbis at a shul. Someone came to him and said, well, Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, Seder night, what do we do? Do we finish the Seder first or do we first go follow Mashiach right away? So he said, on the one hand, I'm very inspired. This person really sees Mashiach coming there. You know, they take, they take uh, Chazal seriously about that. But at the same time, uh, oh, and he mentions also that people were talking about the Balaturim, uh, Balaturim that Mashiach will come at a time when people are all locked in lockdown, people are all at home with their families, not allowed to leave. Just like in the first Pesach Mitzrayim, everyone was home. Lo seitzu ishmi Pesach Beso. So Mashiach will come now too. That people pointed to that Balaturim, presumably around Pesach time. Or he says there was a meme that was sent around. While our shuls are closed, the Yidin and Hashem are like a chasen and kala. The gula is the wedding. The week before the wedding, they can't see each other. So, right, this is the, this is the week before the redemption. Get in, get your dance shoes on. Get ready for the redemption. And he says people get very excited about this, and it's good to always have that hope, to expect God at any time, but there's a real risk. There's a real danger in focusing too, too much on Mashiach right now. And he points to post-Holocaust stories in Besesa uh, Ram, Hidden in Thunder by, by Esther Farmstein, where she points to some who said, throughout the Holocaust, I had faith. I had full faith. I was expecting Mashiach. Once the Holocaust ended, we were liberated, and there was no messianic redemption. It was just life as normal, uh, life as, as normal before the Holocaust. Then there was a great loss of faith. So that's, that's his message to, you know, we should always expect Mashiach. But as soon as you get too dead set on Mashiach coming imminently, that can be counterproductive and, and dangerous. And not only because uh, one can have major letdown, but he also points to the fact that uh, that it means you're not focusing on other things. Maybe, maybe, and this goes back to our topic last week about theodicy, maybe 
if there's suffering in the world, it's not because Mashiach's coming, it's because we should do tshuva, or maybe it's a response to a sin and we should do tshuva. So that, that should be the focus, self-improvement, rather than hoping for some external salvation. And he quotes the Rambam in Malach, and the Rambam we saw before, about not focusing too much on, on these stories and on predicting exact times, it doesn't help one's religiosity at all. One's goal should be to change, to improve themselves religiously. Another article, this uh, you know, published in Yated Neman, which is a Haredi publication, but uh, from someone in the YU world, uh, a few different points. But one of the points in the article, uh, Ray Gordimer points to a popular and well-intentioned tendency to attribute calamities to Biyas HaMashiach. Bad things happen because we're expecting Mashiach soon. And he says, you know, I hope that's, I wish that's true. I hope it's true. But the Rambam says not to engage in predictions. Again, he quotes the Rambam. It doesn't engender fear of heaven or love of God. And it also results in mass disillusionment and worse when the suggested interpretations and predictions turn out to be wrong. And this, we've witnessed this throughout Jewish history. Every, every prediction for Mashiach before now has not been fulfilled according to, according to uh, you know, all, all standard Jewish understandings. So uh, Rav Shach says, Rav Shach says, even takes it a step further. It says, attributing the Yom Kippur War to the coming of Bias Mashiach is a part of the Midah of Amalek. Why? Because you ascribe suffering to outside forces rather than looking at one's own deeds. I, th- I assume that's referring to the Ramah we saw last week about Achzarius, about, uh, which is associated with Amalek, to, to instead of saying something bad happened, I need to improve myself, to say something bad happened, and that's why other people are being hurt. Um, and he says that contemporary prognosticators want to say everything that happens signals Mashiach is here. And this does a disservice to Klal Yisrael, which should follow the Rambam and Rav Shach, and uh, we should daven for Mashiach and, and hope for Mashiach, but not, not to predict it or point to the coming of, of Mashiach. So again, a similar objection. Maybe the strongest, uh, most extensive objection to this phenomenon uh, came, was published by Rav Aaron Lopiansky, maybe the, uh, you know, the most, most extensive creative thinker in the American Haredi world. Uh, in his essay on this topic, I, I cut a, a fair amount of selections of it. We'll run through it quickly now, um, but, but giving a few reasons why this attitude is really wrong. The attitude of, of jumping to say Mashiach's coming now is really wrong. And he, he talks about how he has some students who came to him and said, you know, all my, uh, I guess a, a girl's high school teacher uh, says, all, all my students want to know if they should get their tambourines ready to celebrate and welcome Mashiach. Apparently, someone said, I don't know if this is true or not, that there was a run on tambourines order, ordered at on Amazon because, you know, the women wanted to, uh, uh, to uh, receive Mashiach with tambourines. So that was his question. A lot of people, people kept asking, Mashiach's coming, what should we do? How do we prepare? Should we do anything else or daven for anything else other than Mashiach? And he said at first, that's, you know, it's very nice. It's good that people have these hopes and have this focus of this great principle of faith. But then he realized that we never properly taught our children about Mashiach. Everyone basically misunderstands it. And he has two general issues. First is the deep ignorance of Jewish history. People saying never has anything like this happened before. This is unprecedented. Uh, and uh, it must be Mashiach's coming. And of course, you know, we're, we're very privileged today with given modern medicine to be able to say that a disease that wipes out even, I don't know, even uh, 0.1% of a, of a population is unprecedented. In the, in the past, uh, disease wiped out huge percentages of people. People died regularly. Uh, life expectancy was much shorter than it was now. And he gives all these details. So we really should have a better sense of, of history um, and, not, and realize that this is by no means unprecedented compared to what we're used to. Maybe it's unprecedented compared to the past half century. Maybe it's unprecedented, but not, and, and, and of course the Holocaust, right, in terms of who's dying, uh, overshadows this in a way that's not, not even comparable. So, you know, that, this idea that this is, that this is um, something unprecedented and, and new and must be heralding Mashiach when all the previous uh, crises and pandemics didn't seems short-sighted. So that's the first point. And he, he says the second source of distress is this Mashiach purpose, the misunderstanding of what Mashiach is. And he says, he points, of course, as we saw, there's, much dis- there's many, many false messiahs in Jewish history, uh, and some, some even extended beyond Jewish history. And, uh, and you know, one can have this fervor uh, for Mashiach, and either you end up with a false messiah, or even if it's not a false messiah, if just you have hopes that don't get realized, you end up with a crash and a, and a dramatic letdown. And we wouldn't want that to happen today, to everyone hope for Mashiach and then have it fail. Um, here's a fascinating story from Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky that someone, someone who wasn't a Shabbos observant decided to start 
uh, closing their store on Shabbos because Mashiach's coming. And he said, tell the congregant, I assure you Mashiach is not coming. Why? Because as soon as he has this fervor, and as soon as it, he has this fervor now for Mashiach, as soon as it ends, as soon as it's not fulfilled, if that's what happens, he'll, he'll lose all faith. So that's, that's a second concern, right? The worry about letdown. And then he says, but really the main point is we shouldn't think about Mashiach as the solution to all our problems. When we describe Mashiach as solving our health issues, Shidduch crisis, legal issues, we're looking for a solution to a personal issue. That, that yearning has nothing to do with Mashiach. It just has to do with our worries, our psyche, our, our, right? it's, uh, our psychological uh, worries. And so what are we waiting for? He says, based on the Rambam, we're waiting for a few things, for restoring nationhood and central authority, being able to control, uh, to to control our own national identity, um, which presumably he thinks isn't fully realized in Israel today. Um, Mashiach will restore the wholeness of the Jewish people, will bring everyone back to observance um, and restore and both the people together and restore Torah to call Israel, restore observance, um, will restore the divine presence, will bring the Shekhinah back. Those, that's what Mashiach's about. Mashiach's not about helping us in our quality of life, in our, in our various challenges, even large challenges, even pandemics. That's not what Mashiach is here to solve. Mashiach is here to solve spiritual challenges facing the Jewish people. And he gives a, a mushal, a parable, to sort of drive it home. Someone, someone uh, 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 let's say a young man is getting married and he's lost his parents. Uh, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a Yassom, he's, lost, he's, uh, he's an orphan, he's lost his parents and he's getting married. At the Chasna, you wish Mazel Tov. And he says, I wish my late parents were alive and with us tonight because they would have picked up the bill. Right? So obviously that's the wrong way of looking at it. You want your parents to be there to celebrate with you, to have the experience together, not for the practical uh, benefits of it. And he's saying this, that what's happened now is people relate to Mashiach as a solution to your problems. If you have problems, if you have a crisis, if you have a challenge, you say, Mashiach will solve my problems. And in that case, you know, this, is, this would be a classic example of using religion to serve you rather than you serving God through religion. And this, he says, is clearly the wrong way to go. And the idea that now is a crisis, now things are all going wrong, and the Mashiach must be coming, he says that's, that's uh that's, we're, we're looking for Mashiach when we're at our worst. And we saw some people actually said that. And some of the Gemaras even seem to say that. That when there's a crisis in the world, that's when, that's when to hope for Mashiach. But he says, really, that's wrong. The time and place to yearn for Mashiach is especially when we're at our magnificent best. We have Torah and Gedula. We're marrying off our wonderful daughter, continuing the parable. Everyone, everyone's there. Everything's happy. And then we can hope for Mashiach, for, for uh, increasing God's, God's presence and God's glory in the world. But... Um, but if we if we if we say uh, if we say that we want Mashiach only when things are bad for us to solve our problems, that's not the true way of yearning for Mashiach. So really, there's uh, again the, the dispute. There's really a few different disputes, a few different debates that that exist throughout throughout uh, all these materials that we saw. First, the question of whether to predict Mashiach or not. On the one hand, it can lead to hope. It can lead to and and maybe someone thinks they have insight and they know when Mashiach's coming. On the other hand, uh, the challenge is, is it can lead to a great a great uh, letdown afterwards, and it may not even be possible. But then uh, the, other, the other debate, the other question that we saw that we just ended with is whether the idea is Mashiach comes from a time of prosperity and greatness, of spiritual prosperity, or whether Mashiach comes from a time of crisis. And the, the view that Mashiach comes from a time of crisis, which of course fueled the energy of the, and the focus on Mashiach in previous months, that's the sort of thing that, that seems to stem from, among other things, that, that, that ties in with the hope for, for the solving of one's problems when one's in crisis. And Rav Lopiansky says, that's really the wrong way to look at it. We shouldn't be thinking about Mashiach in the way that it serves us. Again, there are some views that seem to think that. Um, but at least his take is Mashiach has to be something that we build upon our, our own religious growth, our communal religious growth with Mashiach. Not that Mashiach picks us up and helps us when we're in crisis. So with the end of this series, I'll take questions in, in a minute. But uh, I think it's, it, it's fitting that we end on this topic of Mashiach and, and certainly um, uh, hoping for Mashiach, or at least for Geula, for at least a partial redemption uh, from from the the challenges and suffering that we've been facing uh, over the past few months, and uh, not not necessarily to uh, you know not to not to say that that Mashiach is necessarily a part of that. What everyone can hope uh, hope uh, for those those things independently. But uh, I'll just say I hope that uh, that the learning that we've done around these coronavirus topics. Um, that uh, the learning we should gain from the learning, and also we shouldn't need to be speaking about these topics much more going forward. So I'm happy to take questions now. I see uh, someone sent in the chat sent a question. 
Um, personal Messiah versus Messianic era. Maybe the concept of Messiah is the proverbial carrot, always being advanced and never reachable as a way to get people to continually repent. So I think that's, you know, I, I mentioned the view, uh, the view some understand Chabad as, as respect to, uh, pre presenting that view, that Mashiach is always just around the corner, but never actually going to come. So, uh, you know, again, I don't, I don't think that's the best reading. I don't think that's, I think certainly if you ask Chabad people, they would generally object to that reading. And it seems, uh, it seems a bit, a bit too cynical to me. Um, but again, you know, there are people who have advanced that view. Other questions? So ah, here's a question someone sent me in chat. If the Rambam's way of seeing Messiah is based on noticing an individual accomplishing the role of Messiah, do those, these people notice Messiah based on actions or just on circumstances of the time? Okay, so this touches on issues we didn't uh, see the sources of, but the Rambam talks about how one identifies Mashiach. It has to be a person with certain qualities, then they're Bechezgas Mashiach, they're sort of a, uh, a presumed Mashiach, and if they win certain wars, then they, they, gain, uh, they gain the official status. So it sounds like the Rambam has, has clear criteria of how to understand that a person would qualify for Mashiach and, and uh, therefore become the king of, of uh, you know, be, become the king of the Jewish people and, and restore everything. But I think it's not, you know, the Rambam has no problem with that, obviously. He says that explicitly. What he has a problem with is predicting that ahead of time to say, you know, sometime in the future, someone will come and do all these things. Uh, and I know when it's going to happen. Obviously, if someone does do the things that qualify them as Mashiach or Bechazgas Mashiach, then that's one, according to the Rambam, what one should do is treat them as, as Mashiach. Yes, yeah, so that's the distinction between prediction and sort of seeing it as it's happening, um, which, you know, one might conflate, but in the Rambam, there, there's no danger of that because there's very clear, uh, clear stages of Mashiach. Maybe that's why he has clear stages, right, to, to, uh, that helps prevent people, uh, people uh, from predicting. All right, if there are no other questions, we'll, uh, we'll close here again with the hope that uh, all of these discussions and topics become fully theoretical very soon.